Today we're looking at Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. So uh, once again, this is your weekly reminder. If you uh, have not been bringing a Bible, please bring a Bible uh, with you. Uh, you do have it also in your bulletin. You can check that out and maybe make some notes along the side. But I encourage you uh, to open up a Bible to Numbers 21, Numbers chapter 21. If you're uh, kind of not used uh, to the Bible, still sort of new to that, that's the fourth book of the Old Testament. So we're going way back near the beginning. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Or some in verses, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Today we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to look through this uh, story just a little bit at a time, pausing for reflection along the way. So we're going to begin by looking at Numbers 21, verses 4 through 5. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. The journey for the people of Israel had gotten long. Maybe that was because Aaron the brother of Moses, the high priest of Israel, had just died. And he was there with them from even before the journey began. And the fact that he was no longer there, and that they were still here, made the journey seem like it might go on for forever. And they might have also been tired of being pushed around by the nations. Edom did not grant them safe passage through, and so they were forced to walk through this barren wasteland that they were now on. Or it might have been that they were weary from fighting, they just battled with the king of Arid. So perhaps it was the exhaustion from that fight, even though they won it, that was weighing on them. But one way or the other, the bread that God had been giving them had become the focus. The bread had now become to them bland, tasteless, worthless, and not only that, but I can only imagine how the kids were complaining about it at every single meal. Three times a day, set your clock to it. This bread was originally a promise from God, a gracious promise that, that it would be a sign of how God loved and cared for them. Every morning they would wake up and see that once again God had worked a miracle, a daily miracle that would keep them alive. But now, since this bread was promised to them for every day of the journey, whenever they woke up and saw the bread in the morning, well, they were reminded that they still weren't there yet. And who knows, maybe another 40 years would be tacked on at some point along the way. Maybe the journey would go on for forever without end, and they'd still be stuck with this bread again and again and again. Bottom line, the people of Israel were bored with the bread. Boredom. It's something that we in our world have been trained to run from very early on. When we sense boredom, we usually try to do a different activity, you try to add more variety to it, complain to the person who is boring us, try to get them to change and, and, and shake things up, or we just abandon the activity or the people that bore us altogether because if we are bored, then obviously the thing is worthless. And these are the conclusions that we so routinely draw. And we're taught this, again, from little on. If you remember being a child, you go to your parents and say, I'm bored, and then expect them to add some more variety. 
for them to do something different, for them to change your environment some way. Here's a book, turn on the TV, do something, go outside. So we anticipate that other people will fix our boredom because it's something that they're doing to us. And I can see that in my own life. In fact, as I was thinking about boredom, I realized how much of my life has been spent running from boredom. Sometimes I'll just get kind of agitated. I get restless. My wife knows well that I, that I get cabin fever if I'm stuck in a place for too long. And I'll say to her, lovely wife, I call her that because I find it helps, lovely wife, I am bored. And she'll say, well, why don't you go check on that diaper? And I'll say, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm bored. I've never found in my life that boredom has led me to greater productivity. I have found in my life that boredom has time and time again led me to dark places. It has led me into sin either because I'm left alone with my thoughts and I start thinking about all these bad things or whatever. But boredom is an enemy. But it's not an enemy to run from. It's an enemy to understand. And so then, we find ourselves when we are bored. Bored and restless because perhaps boredom reminds us of death. Now, I know that might seem like a stretch. Right? I'm just bored. I'm not dying. But boredom maybe reminds us of death because we all are aware of the fact that one day all earthly activity and purpose in this life, in this world, at least for us, will cease. One day the activity of our heart will stop. One day this world will keep spinning without us and we'll be missing out on everything in this world. Now I know I'm not presenting to you the picture of heaven and I'm doing that on purpose because there's always this gnawing feeling of death. And when we are bored, perhaps that boredom, that restlessness, that purposelessness is a reminder of the day when all activity will stop. And so we're agitated by it. Boredom also comes, I believe, when we forget who we are. The people of Israel forgot their place. They complained to Moses about this worthless bread because they forgot that they were to be receivers of God's mercy. They were to be receivers of God's mercy. Nothing less, nothing more. Receivers of God's mercy. It was God who broke the will of Pharaoh and led them out of Egypt. It was God who parted the Red Sea when they were trapped for them. It was God who provided this bread and water in many miraculous ways throughout their journey. It was God who gave them laws and also God who enforced those laws. It was God, while Moses was a leader among them, God in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night was truly leading them. God fought their battles for them. The people of Israel were to be simply receivers of mercy. And that's our station as God's people. The wilderness journey is meant to instruct us for how we are to walk through this world. And now I know when I say receivers of mercy, when I put us in that passive position, there's this will that kind of like bubbles up in us, but, but we're supposed to obey and do good works. And yes, of course, being a receiver of mercy leads to good works. But when we have an unbalanced approach to that, we start to emphasize our good works and what we're doing. And when we're bored, we panic. We are nothing more than receivers of God's mercy. You are heirs of salvation. We're heirs of salvation. 
the riches of God's mercy are yours. And when we find ourselves in a gap between responsibilities or a gap between activity, or when we're wrestling with our own sense of purpose, there is not an opportunity to bring a complaint against God, but there instead is an opportunity to breathe and realize that all things that I have and have ever had graciously come from God's hand. And if I am to be still in this moment, then I am to be still. That's all right. Let's move on with the story. Verse 6. It heats up. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents. See that? Okay. None of them. Okay. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. What a creative and horrible punishment. <laughs> How did all these snakes get on this plane? Desert plane, that is. These snakes come from God. And it seems harsh, and that's because it is. Because when we find ourselves in this position of boredom, what do we do? But, but we try to look past the promises that God has given. We look beyond them to try and find them the amazing, something better, something more with more variety. In other words, we're telling God that we are the ones who determine what is good for us, what is entertaining for us, what brings us joy. And so, God, you need to change according to that. Otherwise, you're going to lose the people, God. You're going to lose them. And you might say, well, yeah, but, you know, these people of Israel are in a little bit of a different place. They're, they're walking through this desert plain with nothing around them. There's no vegetation. There's probably hardly any shade for them as they journey through here. No wonder they're irritable. And I'll grant you that. But then I can also point you to another situation where there were people in a lush garden filled with perfection. Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, and a serpent appeared to them and tempted them also, even though they had everything, to look beyond what God had given them, to try and seek some sort of greater knowledge than what they already had, a greater knowledge than what came freely from God's hand. And so Eve took the fruit, ate it, gave some to her husband, and he ate too. And since then, they and us have been snake bitten with the curse of death. When we look beyond the cross of Jesus Christ and his good and gracious everyday provision for us and all of his promises to try and find something more, we are guilty of nothing less than idolatry. And this, as it did for the people of Israel, also makes us worthy of death. We continue, though. Verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to the, for the people. It's interesting that in this moment, the people instinctively seek out one who has not sinned this way against God. One whose, whose lips have not slandered God's blessings. Moses did not call the bread that they had worthless. The people did. And so then they seek him out to mediate, to speak to God on their behalf. Thanks be to God that in the midst of our boredom and our restlessness 
and, and the way that our constant seeking for more and more and greater and greater and more exciting has led us to sin against God, that we have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who was never afraid of death and who never forgot who he was. That he was the Son of God. And because of that, we have one who stands before us, who will hear, who God will hear and God will answer. It is for the sake of his blood and not our own righteousness. We have one that we can go to, even in the midst of the evil that we have brought into our very own lives. It is the greater work of healing, Christ our Lord. Next, verse 8. Verse 8, follow along. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. The image of the thing that has been bringing them so much pain and death is now the thing that will save them. Because God is their father. He is both the one who disciplines and the one who heals. He is very much both of these things. And find it interesting that this is the way that God provides the answer. Isn't that even stranger? The fiery serpents are kind of an exotic punishment. As a father, I sort of respect that because I think it does pay to keep one's children on their toes, come up with something different every now and then. But, yeah, a bronze serpent on a pole, snake on a cane. So, in doing this, I believe that God is demonstrating to us that he will answer our prayers, but he will reserve the right to do it in his own way. That in life we might suffer the consequences of our actions, and yet also know that we are receivers of his mercy and forgiveness at the same time. He doesn't, he doesn't change up bread. You know, what would be the big deal? Just change up the bread a little bit. Come on. Make it more for the people. And, and he doesn't change himself either, obviously. In fact, he continues to provide that bread every day through all of this. Now, granted, at one point, I imagine a few of the people in Israel had to compete against the snake to get that bread because both were on the ground. But yet God continued to provide this bread, even in the midst of this punishment. That same old, boring, dull bread. That worthless bread. And yet the people of Israel continued to be alive. On the other hand, Moses is walking through with this bronze serpent. Not, not some sort of dazzling remedy. God didn't vaporize the snakes and turn them to dust. You know, He didn't send down fiery angels to cut off their heads. He didn't do anything cinematic at all. He just said, put a snake on a cane and walk around, and whoever looks to it will live. And in this way, he is teaching Israel the same lesson he has been trying to teach them over and over again, day after day in the wilderness. And it's the same lesson that is before us now. It's simple, and it seems dull, and you've heard it before. But let me say it again. Look to him and live. Look to him and live. Verse 9, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. 
couple things there. First of all, set it on a pole can also be, that word pole can also be translated as banner or standard, which actually leads to the image of a victory parade going back and forth through the camp. So here are the people still surrounded by these snakes. God didn't make them disappear, as we've noted. And, and Moses is, has this snake on a cane, and he's triumphantly walking through the camp as people are groaning and crying out in agony. And he, there he is doing a parade, throwing candy to kids, and, and he has this bronze serpent. And everyone who looks to it will live. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a fantastic image of the church, who we really are, and, and, and how we really come to this grace of God. Because we come here groaning under the weight of the evil that we have brought into our own lives and are likely to bring into our lives again and again and again. The things we wrestle with will continue to poison us and plague us, and we will continue to have to pick up the sword of the Spirit and fight. And that will be a messy battle. And it'll be a painful battle. And yet, in the midst of all of it, there is Christ. I mean, here we are. And we recognize that while we're here, we're not there yet. We recognize our own insufficiencies, the ways that we are so likely to become discontent when something dissatisfies us, and let that gnaw on us and eat us and break us down to nothing. And yet also, while we're here, not recognizing or recognizing that we're not where we should be, perhaps we haven't put down the sins that we should have put down by now. Perhaps we haven't grown the ways that we thought we should have grown by now. And yet here we are crying out in agony and still in our midst there is this victory parade happening right now. John chapter 3 verses 4 through 5, Jesus says to Nicodemus that as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes may have eternal life the gospel reading, John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. The parade already happened this morning. And it happened in a way that maybe you don't even see anymore, because I see that a lot of you have been here week after week after week, time, uh, time and time again over the years. And maybe you're bored with this. But yet, at the beginning of every service, there is a cross that comes forward, right? It's, it's this procession. The cross comes forward uh, every week. Every week. Maybe we could change that up. Throw some glitter cannons into the mix or something. I don't know. But, but here it comes the same way. People dress the same way. I've been wearing green now for forever. All right? And so I walk forward in this boring, dull parade. But it's, it's a reminder of God's presence and victory that is among us. And that's who God is. Is. He chooses these ordinary, daily means to give us grace and mercy. So we gather here, hearing the same words again and again and again. And the same promises over and over, in the same way, feeding us that same bread. Tiny little wafer, small sip of wine. We can't even decide if we like the wine or not. There's not enough of it. And we come forward and we get it, and then we go back to our seat. And yet through these ordinary means, God brings healing and life. God is a God who does not change. He is not a boring God. If he is the God who saves your life, 